Welcome back. We are back again with another episode of Prospects Worldwide. We're continuing our series on the top prospects in every minor league system, and we're on episode 7 now, out of 30. We're not stopping anytime soon, but today is all about the Baltimore Orioles, the Charm City birds themselves with a farm system that has been rapidly growing since Elias took the reins as GM. We're going to break them all down right here, right now, so Orioles fans, even though you can't go to the friendly confines of Oriole Park at Camden Yards this year, today I invite you to sit back and enjoy talking about your baseball future. Enjoy it today. I'm John Giles, and this is Prospects Worldwide. Number seven, guys, zooming through these now, quickly rolling as the season waits for no one. Today is all about the Orioles, and we're breaking down the entire organization top prospects you need to know. Here today to talk about the O's, I've got my co-host and the czar of zone percentage, Mr. Jake Dillinghast. Jake, it's another good day, my man. Another good day, another good day to do a prospect rank. Yeah, we're at number seven. We're we're pushing through these. If the season was 162 games long, we'd have plenty of time. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> so we're crying and doing these nonstop. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, well, Jake, we are joined once again by one of our head analysts and scouts at prospectsworldwide.com, Mr. Drake Mann. Drake, it's good to have you back, brother. It's been uh, since the Padres conversation. It's good to be back. How are you, John? I'm doing well. It's um, closing in at um, 10 o'clock here on the East Coast, uh, so it's way past my bedtime. Uh, but I'll stick around to talk about the Orioles. I mean, they are your favorite team, so. They're the best team. They're God's team. So uh, you have to respect that, and we have to we have to love them for who they are. But <laughs> let's get it down. Let's talk about these O's, Drake. You know the drill here. We're going to talk about the top five guys and then hit five players you want to spotlight out of the remainder of the top 20. Uh, I do want to notate that the prospect list that we're working off of was actually written by our writer Nick Labrico. Due to some scheduling concerns, he wasn't able to be with us today, but Drake and Jake have both edited this down and, and have confirmed that these are good numbers. I believe you, Drake. I believe you, Jake. Let's get through it. Number one in the system needs no introduction. The recent face of Oregon State baseball and the future face of the Major League Orange and Black, catcher Adley Rushman. The Orioles desperately need a star. 13 years ago, they drafted a switch-hitting catcher in the top five, and he rose as high as number two in the entire minor leagues. I'm aware I'm supposed to believe Adley's the future, but the O's have been burned before by the limited ceiling of Weeders. What makes Adley different? Just, I mean, not that Weeders didn't have bad makeup. I just think Adley's makeup is just, honestly, off the charts. The guy's just what you want from the catcher position. He's a leader. He's going to control the pitching staff. He's a bat. He can hit near a three-hole, four-hole. He's going to be one of your most consistent bats throughout the year kind of look at it that way and yeah weeders was a great prospect no one really looked at him as that they looked at him as the best catcher at his time no doubt but he wasn't seen as the best catcher of potentially the generation ish and i see that with adley i think this kid's got it all i mean he's a switch hitting catcher he's got defense he's got an arm he's got power he's got hit potential he doesn't have speed but it is what it is at the catcher position you don't care about that he throws runners out He's got a good walk rate. He doesn't strike out a ton. He gets the ball in the air. He hits the ball over the field. It's honestly just everything you want from a player. So I have no real questions with Adley's hitting his potential. I mean, maybe people are thinking he's going to be the next best catcher of all time. I'm not sure. He definitely has potential to be one of the best that we've seen in quite some time with just his all-around game. So I'm excited to see how he does and kind of get a real big taste next year as uh as he gets into a full minor league season just kind of and he should move quickly through the system as well like he's not going to be one of these guys to take a while we should see him in 2022 um in a full-time role 
pretty early in the season. I don't think anything's going to slow him down coming there. We could even see him next year. I mean, it just kind of depends on how he shows up next year early in the season. If he comes out swinging the stick great, they're going to move him up quickly. And it just kind of fits their timeline in a way. Like, they're looking to kind of compete in the next two years. So Adley's kind of fitting right in their uh, timeline to compete. And he's going to kind of come up and gain that leadership from the club. And they're going to roll forward with Adley and the rest of these guys coming up. Also, I want to touch on this. Whenever you get the Barry Bonds treatment of getting intentionally walked with the bases loaded, <laughs> that should uh, that should tell you how good of a hitter this kid actually is. Yeah, that was uh, that was at Oregon State, correct? That was in the College World Series. Yeah, that, that's insane. <laughs> I remember that, seeing that. That was wild. That was that was amazing. Well, I hope uh, I hope Adley brings that production to Baltimore. Uh, not just for my sake, but to Orioles fans' sake, because for years now they've been saddled with, you know, Caleb Joseph and the ghost of Matt Weeders and uh, Wellington Castillo, and it's just never the guy. There's never that figurehead behind the plate that you can just rely on. And if Adley can bring that, they can just breathe a sigh of relief. But let let's move on to number two. Adley is that big guy. But look at number two. He was the number one pick in 2018, a young six foot five righty with the 50 plus future value, Grayson Rodriguez. He's a true potential starter profile, four distinct pitches, each of them with varying grades. Uh, but it seems like he has a clear hierarchy in them. Uh, fastball being his best, followed by slider, curveball, then change up being his worst pitch, but it's still a really good pitch. Uh, take a step away from the grades. What's his most important piece? Is it the heavily relied upon fastball? Is it that super off-speed breaking pitch that you know leads people going in a different direction? Um, I'm actually pretty high on the curveball. We have a grade as a 50 here. I'm, I would actually grade a little bit higher, quite honestly. I think it's one of his better pitches. It's pretty nasty. I, I would grade it just as easy with, or just on par with the slider, quite honestly. I think he has three pitches that show the potential to be plus at times. The fastball definitely grades in that plus range. I would have the slider and the curveball probably in that 55 range. But yeah, he's got it all. I mean, he's, he's got the size. He's got the plus pitch. He's got the multiple breaking pitches he's got the change at the wrinkle in there he has pretty decent command it's improving we created out as a future um, league average command so we expect his command to get better overall i I think grayson's pretty close to what you're going to see from him it's just gonna kind of wrinkle out that command issues and that's not really even commit issues it's more just the kid's been young he's 20 years old and he needs just to get another season under his belt where we can see him pitch another 120, 130, 40 innings or so, and then he'll have a big season under his belt, and we're likely going to see this kid in 2022. And in my opinion, this is definitely, obviously, we have him ranked number two in the system, so he should be the best pitcher in the system. But moving forward, I think this is a guy that you could potentially sit at the top of your rotation. He doesn't have that top of the league potential, like Garrett Cole, Jacob DeGrom type pitcher, but if you have this guy as your number one pitcher, you can go into a playoff series and feel pretty comfortable. He's... He's got elite stuff at, at times, and I, I, I like watching him pitch. He's a fun, he's a fun pitcher. Yeah, Drake, I'm curious, kind of going off that same question, Grayson has four pitches that all kind of work off of each other really well, where you know the, the mid-90s fastball is followed by a curveball that's 20 miles an hour or less than that, followed by a mid-80s changeup. Would you rather have that 99-mile-an-hour heater that's just going to blow past you, or would you rather have that pitcher with the pitch ability that can kind of do these things that Rodriguez is doing? I've always been under the distinction that, like, the guy with better pitch ability, the guy that can uh, change speeds very well, fluid mechanics, uh, better control than the guy with the high velocity, I've always thought that that's more crucial. 
and what can lead to more success in a player. I, I got scared of an injury risk. I, there was a viral video that went viral over, I don't know, over the offseason at some point of him just throwing a ball over a lake to play and catch with someone on the other side of a lake. And it was a spot on, like hit the catcher in the target zone. <laughs> I, uh, I was, oh, don't, don't blow your shoulder out, buddy. Don't do that. <laughs> so the more he does that, the more it's going to scare me. But as long as he's being properly developed by Elias and his crew, uh, he's not going to throw balls over lakes and he'll be doing the correct things. But let's move on to number three. Number three is the number one, or I guess the number two overall pick in this most recent draft, the Orioles' top pick, Heston Kirstad. Uh, again, we spoke a lot about Kirstad in that AL East draft pod that we did a while back. So please feel free to go to that draft pod, listen to that, get all those details. But I still do want to touch on him a, a little bit here since he is in the top five. He's a 50 future value. And obviously the O's shocked a lot of people by choosing the underslot here saving $2.5 million that would eventually go on to sign Cody Mayo and Carter Baumler. But where do you expect to see Kerstad in, I guess, in the overall prospect ranks in the near future? Uh, you know, matching up against the other outfielders in the class, you got Zach Fien, Robert Hassel, Pete Crow Armstrong, Garrett Mitchell. Do, do we have a chance to see Kerstad turn into something more than just that guy who got the underslot? Yes. Uh, I don't know if he's going to have a better career than like Zach Fien, for instance, or something that you mentioned, but... He's definitely going to be a capable player, I think, just right off the bat. Um, I think we touched on it on the uh, draft pod. The comp that I have for him is Max, Max Kepler, just of the Twins. He's just kind of a similar player. The hit tool, I'll, I would probably have it as more of a 45. We have it as a 50 on here, but I would probably have it as more of a 45 with the, the powers legitimate. It's a, seven, it's a, it's a 60, 60 power. Um, let me reset that. It's a 60 power. The raw powers even has potential to push into the 70 range. I wouldn't quite say it, but it's probably a 60 plus. Quite honestly, he shows some good pull power. And Canley Yards is going to play really well. He'll be a good right fielder. He's not going to really show you that ability to have to move off. He's not going to be a gold glover out there, but he will be capable and he has a good enough arm to handle the position. And the power is what you kind of need at that position as well. That's what you're looking for. Overall, I mean, he's just a really good low ball hitter. And his timing syncs up really well at the plate. So until he kind of struggles, I don't think you mess with it. But if he struggles, you kind of might maybe have to mess with that... Uh, kind of the movement in his hands and stuff. As you said, he was an underslot guy, so he'll have some pressure on him as a number two pick with the guys they passed on to take him. So the whole, he's going to always have that kind of cloud over over his head with, wow, they took this guy instead of Austin Martin, and the, he's in the division. Now we got to play Austin Martin every freaking 20 times a year or whatever, and we got cursed at. So he's got he didn't have that cloud over his head in the future, but I think he's going to provide enough to kind of quiet those. Uh, I know it's hard to project war so early and I don't want to put you in a corner where I'm asking you to do that but do you see him being that I guess above replacement level player that you know three to four war player not that eight war nine war superstar uh, don't worry about that but just that guy that you can look at and be like okay respectable season yeah I mean um, just for instance on our grading scale um, we have about for a 50 grade, it's about a two war player. We have him obviously graded as a 50 right now. He has potential to get into that 55 range. Um, FB, I don't think he has, I don't think he has enough to kind of get past that. But if he got into that 55 range, he would be about a three war player. So I definitely think he has that potential. He'll have seasons where he touches into that 30 to 35 range and he has some big years and he has a potential to kind of have some big years as every player does in the league. But the consistency, I think he'll slide into that two to three war player as you were kind of saying but 
Um, yeah, he ain't going to be no all-star every season, but he'll have potential to reach an all-star game or two in his career. <laughs> okay. One thing that uh, Jake didn't really touch on that I just want to touch on really quickly on that is he is going to Camden Yards and he's a lefty. He's going to absolutely mash in Camden Yards. That's not like those that warehouse in right field. He's probably going to break a few windows over there. And I fully believe that. Only one I person really, ever has ever hit that warehouse. King I Griffin. Think, I honestly think he could because he... He has that power. All right. Well, I mean, looking at his Arkansas stats, by all means, the bat is there. The power is there. He slugged 800 in his last year. Granted, a short season. His ISO was 340 in that season. You know, like he definitely has the ability to get extra bases, to do things more than just get the single. And you're right. I didn't even think about that. Honestly, I'm surprised I didn't. That Camden Yards factor could be huge for him. But let's keep going down. I want to keep pushing down the list. Number four. uh, Interestingly, it's another number one or another first round pick. So far, their top four guys are all first round picks in the last four years. This time, it's 2017's draft pick, D.L. Hall. Uh, Hall came from that 2017 class that was just loaded with pitching talent. You know, headlined by Mackenzie Gore, Nate Pearson, uh, Brandon McKay, uh, but also with guys like Kyle Wright, Shane Baz, Alex Fayedo. They, they all found themselves getting drafted in the first round. Uh, right in the middle of all of them was this D.L. Hall kid, 90-mile-an-hour fastball with a hard-breaking curve out of Warner Robins. And as a high schooler, he needed a lot of development. But now, three years later, he's outpitched his league levels consistently. And, and most recently, he was striking out 13 per nine while also being three years younger than everyone else. You know, he, he's probably not going to be McKenzie Gore or Nate Pearson. But how does he compare to the rest of that class looking back? And, and where does he fall in the Orioles' rotation of the future? To answer the rotation question, I think he's going to be about a three starter with that potential to be like a back end two. He, he really impressed me last year um, when he was at the Futures game, I think it was. Uh, he came out and he pitched really well. I think he absolutely shattered someone's bat to open it up, if I'm correctly, if I'm correct. And then he just pitched really well. He worked quickly. He got outs. He did well. I was impressed overall. It's just kind of what I've seen from the last few years, as you mentioned. He just kind of continuously just shows well every time you kind of see him. And yeah, the walk rate's a little much right now. A little, It's a little bit uh, too high. You definitely want to see that come down. But I think he's definitely improving on it. We'll see him next year, and if that command can just get fixed up, he's got really good stuff. He's got swing and miss stuff with a curveball and a fastball. They're both graded as we have we have both graded as a plus pitch. I mean, if he can just get that change up just just at that 45 grade, quite honestly, just if he can max it out at that 45 and just get his command up to the 40, if he can maybe find some more command, we're looking at a guy that could be a number two starter consistently. I don't think he'll find that, so I do think he'll be that three starter. Um, I'm a little worried just with the third pitch. Overall, I think it's good enough to compete at the major league level. I'm not sure it's good enough to get consistent outs. It's more just going to be that third pitch you can use to keep guys off that fastball curveball and just give them a different look, especially against those righties. But yeah, I I like him a lot. I think he's going to be successful. I'm not expecting no Cy Youngs or ace material out of him, like I said, but I definitely think he's going to have success in the uh, in the rotation and. He's on that kind of same path as Grace, and they should debut roughly about the same time. We're probably going to see D.L. Hall just slightly before him. I just think he's a little more just advanced, I would say, as a pitcher. I think Grayson has a little more to work on, and then it just kind of comes down to the command with Hall and that changeup. But um, I'm excited to see what he can do because he's a lot of fun to watch on the mound. Sure. Uh, Drake, when you know Jake was talking, he was saying you know, well, a high potential possibility for him is that number three you know, the highest potential, probably number two. If he doesn't get that command in order, and if that changeup doesn't develop, do you think he could be a, I guess, a proper bullpen piece? 
Uh, or is that just kind of be kind of a waste of this talent? You know, we, we have to force them in the starting role. Uh, I think he, he would most likely go to the bullpen. Cause think about it. If you only have a, if you have like a two pitch pitcher, they don't really do well in the rotation because the second time around, third time around the order, batters start to figure you out quite easily. That's fair. I do want to throw out a comp though really quickly. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. So this is going to be a weird comp, but I see a lot of Drew Smiley in his delivery. <laughs> I, I know that's really I don't weird. know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> hey, he was good for a couple years. Yeah, when he's healthy, Drew Smiley was really good. Let's just remember that. I uh hold on. I'm, I got to look up Drew Smiley's stats to see if I'm if I'm remembering the correct Drew Smiley. Yeah, okay. All right. I accept that. Actually, Drew Smiley, if if D.L. Hall can get his walk rate down to what Smiley had, I'm happy. That's a 2% walks per nine instead of whatever whatever uh, Hall was at right there. You know what? I do accept that. If we can get a, a, a good, healthy Smiley, then I'll, I'll be happy with him. But, but let's move to the number five guy. The last guy in the top five here is a prospect that pretty much every Oriole fan has an opinion on. It's uh, Yusniel Diaz. Diaz has a history that just it screams future star uh, before he was even in the major leagues. He was one of the better hitters in all of Cuba in 2014. He was getting on base at a better clip than Yuli and Lourdes Goriel, uh, Victor Victor Mesa, Randy Aranzarena, Luis Robert, Jordan Alvarez, all these guys in the Cuban league that year. And Yusnio Diaz was better at OBP than all of those guys. He, he was 17 at the time and searching for stardom. And then he signed with the Dodgers. He was an immediate top 100 prospect, getting as high as 52. And then he was the headliner in the Manny Machado deal. And then everything kind of fell apart prospect-wise for him. He now holds the worst batting average in OBP of his career at 265 and 341. What happened with the development? Is Diaz going to be able to get back to that once vaulted potential? I don't think so, personally. Um, I don't know. I'm just Something changed with him recently. Like, not recently, just over the last few years. Like... It just didn't pan out, I think. I don't know. Like He's going to get his shot, I think. But I'm not sold it's going to turn into, into much, quite honestly. We have, a, we have a graded as a 50-hit pool. That's a bit high for me, honestly. I, I would probably have it more as a 45. And I think he did some work, quite honestly. I, I don't think he's... I think he still needs probably another year or two, quite honestly, in the minors. I, I think he still has a lot to develop. He still has some uh, kinks in the offensive game he needs to work through. The defense is good. Um, or it's fine. I, I should say it's not good. It's fine. Um, it's league average. The arm's strong. It's a right field arm. The power, though, I mean, you expect this guy, I feel like, to be a bigger power and just a bigger, better hitter overall. And if he's just going to be a league average hitter at best, I'm, I don't know. I'm not exactly sold on him. And I, like I said, I don't think he's going to be a league average hitter anyway. So I don't I don't think he's going to be a starter for this team, especially with a team how deep they are kind of in the outfield. They have a lot of different options. He'll get mm-hmm. his shot, as I said, in the, in the near future because at this point they really don't have a really many, many other options one and two nothing to lose because who knows maybe you toss him out there and you strike strike fire with gold or something and this guy comes out there and i don't know he lights the world on fire and he's out there as a starter for you the next year so stuff like that can happen i just personally don't see it he's had that pedigree as you touched on before that big prospect pedigree is for a while but i don't know at some point you gotta just kind of keep producing and at, at, this, at, a, at this point i just don't see it with him i just have some some bad taste in my mouth when I hear the name Yasniel Diaz. And for training a guy like Machado, there there could have been at least one better piece that came over. I feel like nothing's really panned out for them super well, but we'll touch on the other guys later. Well, the Manny Machado deal, in my opinion, is like very interesting because if they hadn't waited so long, they would have gotten something a lot better than they did. 
And with Diaz being the main piece, I just think what happened was, like, the league adjusted to him. Kind of like how MLB pitchers adjusted to Harrison Bader. In his first year, Harrison Bader was hitting everything, getting on base. And now they found his kryptonite, and he's struggling to basically get his feet back wet to where he once was. And I, I completely agree with Jake on what he said about using Aldeas. Yeah, right now, if you look at the Orioles in recent years, I feel like two years ago, right as this Diaz trade was happening for the Orioles, you would look at an outfield and say, all right, obviously Diaz is slating as, an, as a starting outfielder. Austin Hayes just won minor league player of the year. He's going to be a star center fielder. Uh, DJ Stewart was a former first-round pick. He'll be a starting uh, left fielder. Yeah, and then you look at the guys like Ryan McKenna, who we might talk about later, but a lot of other picks at the time, and this is before we even knew about Heston Kierstad and a couple of these other guys, and none of them have panned out. So it looks like, is it just something in the Orioles' development and the outfield? How could it possibly be that? That that doesn't make sense. I think I think it's probably the, the Orioles' development, personally. I mean, because if you miss that many times, you got to see what's going on, like, in the, the developmental phase of your team, that's that's all I really have on that subject. Yeah. I mean, that that worries me for all these other prospects because, you know, what's the point of having hype about Adley Rushman? I mean, granted, he's behind the plate and we're talking about outfielders, but development's development. You know, are the Orioles just going to be a cesspool of bad prospects forever? Well, the Orioles have different management now as well, so you got to take that into consideration. In the last, I don't know, decade or whatever that we all kind of think of the Orioles, they had that underachieving front office. I'll be quite honest. I mean, they had their they had their good years. Quite honestly, I mean, obviously they had a good stretch where they were in the ALCS a few years, but they weren't doing a really good job of developing talent. Quite honestly, I mean, they had their weeders, they had their machados come through, but I mean, every organization eventually lands on a player like that, you sign them and they come through the ranks and it's not really development there. It's kind of just raw talent. So, I mean, they've had their share of guys come through the system, but now with the new system, I mean, Mark Elias has put a better system in place. They, they do a lot better of just in general, just pitch um, development. Like, I mean, everyone can remember the Orioles last five, 10 years, their pitching development was pure, just bottom of the barrel, probably of the league, quite honestly. Like look at all you're, these guys. You're looking directly at Jake Arietta. Yeah, I mean, anyone that's come through, Jake Arrieta, I mean, Bundy had his struggles as his time here. Gossman, they just all have a lot of issues. I don't know, like, they had a lot of issues developing them. But now, I mean, you look at it, and we just talked about the top five, and we got Grayson, we got D.L. Hall, and those are two guys you can kind of count on as your future of the rotation guys. I think these guys are doing a lot better developing them. They're getting their pitchers to pitch more towards their um, strengths and stuff. And then in the past, they were just kind of, oh, you have raw talent? Nice. Get out there and throw your fastball, curveball, change-up slider, and we'll see how the results are. They're, they're not doing that anymore. So I'm excited to see how this new front office kind of gets sure. to work with these guys. Yeah, I, I look forward to what the new development staff can do. But at the same time, I retroactively am disappointed because – Guys like Diaz, who you know, still slotting in at number five prospect in the in the top twenty, such a good talent, and it seems like the talent may have already been wasted. He's a couple years too early. Guys, that's it for the top five. Before we go into uh, the guys, the spotlight guys that we want to talk about later, I want to take a quick break to listen to an ad of a pretty cool podcast. 
What's up, folks? It's Steve from the Grande and Big Sum Show. If you're looking for the hottest takes, Twitter debates, and everything going on in sports and pop culture, then look no further. We've got you covered. Whether it's tackling the newest in the NFL, NBA, and college sports, catching up with some of your favorite college and pro athletes, or just chopping it up, there's something here for everyone. You can find the Grande and Big Sum Show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to follow along on Twitter and Instagram at Grande and BS Pod. That's G R A N D E and BS Pod. Thanks, and we'll see you guys soon. Welcome back. We're talking Orioles baseball. We are talking the bottom 15 and the top 20. Here are your five spotlight guys. Let's get at them. Um, the next guy on your list, as we spotlight the you know, guys in the bottom 15, uh, we're looking at Ryan Mountcastle, 45 future value. The question we've always been asking of Ryan Mountcastle is, can he play defense, and and where can he play? But to be honest, that's I guess it's a fair question, but I think there's a more important one. If Mountcastle is relegated to a corner, his bat's going to have to live up to all the hype and then more. Uh, under the best development and training that we can hope for, what's Mountcastle's peak offensive stat line going to look like? I guess purely numbers here, his AAA stat line looks kind of like a major league Nick Castellanos here. All right, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not in on Mount Castle just for that. Um, there's just a lot, of, like you said. The defense is we have it graded as a 40. I'll be honest, I would probably grade it near a 30. It's very poor, and the arm is even probably worse as well. It's it's really an inconsistent arm, and you wouldn't expect that from a guy of his size and just. Kind of, you would think this guy would have more ability in the field, but just he he just doesn't. Um, he doesn't show it. He won't like he came up as a shortstop. They moved him around like four different times, and they've realized he can't play anywhere so far. And they just kind of shoved him in left field and first base, and just God hope to hope to God he can hit. I've talked to multiple scouts about him, specifically with the O's, and they've kind of just all said the same thing. He's a great hitter when he puts the bat on the ball, but he literally has no plan at the plate. He just goes up there and swings, and whatever pitch comes, it comes. And if he connects, he connects. It's going to go a long way. It's going to be hit well. It's going to be hit hard, but there's going to be a ton of swing and miss there. There's going to be a ton of just swinging at balls out of the zone, just balls that, why is this guy swinging at this thing? Just kind of all of that. Just kind of just like an all-around just, kind of like just aggressive not paying off profile um yeah i mean just with that said he doesn't walk a lot with it with that aggressiveness too so you're looking at a guy with poor defense very poor walk rates not exactly pull heavy but the power is gonna show up a lot of it to the pull side um i don't know if when you're talking the role defensively maybe uh I mean, I don't know. I, I can't see him con- honestly being a starter at any position. Like, you're looking at a guy who's kind of in that Mark trumbo role. Like, yeah, we can start him at first base, and he's okay there. Can we get his bat in at third base? Nope. Okay, can we get his bat in left field? Well, we're struggling there. We're probably giving up more runs than we're getting, quite honestly, with the bat. So is it worth it? I mean... Yeah, I mean, that was... That was my worry about putting him at third base or, or, or even uh, even worse at first base because if you can develop him defensively to play you know, got a second base or something like that, then the bat can be above average. But it has to be great if you're at first. The bat has to be great if you're at first base. Otherwise, you're a hole. 
Yeah, I mean, if he got a plan of the plate and kind of got a little more patient, his bat has potential, but he just goes up there and, like I said, I, like the people I spoke to and just kind of what I've seen as well is just he's just going up there trying to hit whatever kind of he thinks is coming or not even really what he thinks is coming. He just says, all right, fastball, fastball down the middle. I'm swinging there. If it's there, I'm going to crush this thing. If it's not there, it's strike one. It is what it is. So well, you just gave the entire AL East a scouting report. Just don't throw him fastballs up the middle. <laughs> it's whatever pitch he thinks is coming. <laughs> he just guesses wrong often. I mean, I mean, he ha- he has a good average and all that. He has good stats at the, at the level. But I mean, there's a reason a guy's been at a level this long, and we're all wondering why he can't crack an O's roster. There's, I think, there's merit to that. Um, and I, I don't think the answer is, oh, they're just playing the service clock for when their team is ready to compete. I don't think you do that to a prospect. I don't think you shove him in AAA for two years to save service time. That's, I mean, yeah, you do it at the beginning of the year. You don't do it for two years. So there's a reason this guy is not in the big leagues right now. And a lot of it's just due to, again, the walk rate and the defense. They don't know what to do with this guy. They need him to show it consistently. Well, Drake, I want to know, since Jake is being a downer on him, are you also a downer? I mean, somewhat. What Jake just described is basically a Greg Bird type of situation. <laughs> um, I do think that he he could turn into like a high average player, high high power. But like he said, the swing and miss is gonna be is still gonna be present. Well, I do hope he can. Well, I guess I hope he can open his eyes at the plate and actually pay attention to what pitch is coming. Uh, but also more importantly than that. Increase that walk rate because the the thirty point difference between his batting average and his on base percentage just isn't going to cut it. You've got to do better than that. And you know, this year during his development, uh, during, during the sixty man roster development, that might be something they're working on. I don't know. I, I I hate the fact that I can't get an eye in on all this development like we would be able to do if they were playing games. But but let's keep on moving down. I want to keep pushing. Number nine on your list is Dean Kramer, uh, right-hander, 24 years old, and uh, 45 future value. At, at face value, Kramer seems to be, I guess, a slightly above-average pitcher. 55 grades on his fastball and curve and some meddling other pitches in his arsenal. But simply put, for a while, Kramer was the type of pitcher that would just baffle evaluators having the success he's seen. What is it about Kramer's game that allows him to outpitch what our naked eye sees? Yeah, with Kramer, it just comes down to really good pitchability. He's pretty good command. He's already got league average command as graded. We have it as a 55 future. So just a fastball command. He's able to kind of locate in and out lefties or righties pretty well. Keep them off balance a little bit. He's got a curveball slider to mix in at any time for the most part. It's just keeping hitters off balance, quite honestly. Um, like you said, he's not going to flash out there. It's nothing outstanding. It's not like, oh, dang, we got a future ace here, but... He's got he's got enough stuff to get out there and get outs consistently and get through a lineup three times. Uh, he's got four pitches. He's got a four pitch mix. He's got a changeup as well that we upgraded as a forty five. He was at the other part as we were mentioning earlier. He was another part of the Manny Machado deal. He was, I guess, the second piece of the deal. Again, like that deal was a little bit un, not what you would want trading a superstar player like that. But Kramer will be a pitcher in the major leagues. I think he will be a back end of the rotation guy. I don't think he has much more than that. He's going to be a four or five starter that can get out. He's going to have that near four year age. It's kind of average across the board stuff. It makes me feel like the Orioles are doing uh, surprise. The Orioles are doing this on purpose. They're, they're getting these guys that don't have the end all be all lights out stuff. 
Grayson Rodriguez, DL Hall, you know, Dean Kramer here, but their pitchability, their ability to throw the right pitch in the right situation with the proper mechanics and limiting walks and doing all the things right. If you can do that, if you can have a rotation full of that guy, you might not need Garrett Cole. You might not. I mean, obviously, sure, Garrett Cole would help, but you might not need him in your roster if you can have a rotation full of just the right guys, if that sounds as corny and cliche as possible. No, it definitely makes sense. And just another not thing to touch on, just as I was saying, just kind of what makes him stand out a little bit. Um, his fastball is not overpowering at all, but he does get uh, pretty high spin rates on it. I don't have the exact number, but he does get above average spin rates. And he does get some pretty good swing and misses on it. So that does help his overall no plus pitch in a way um, stuff play up. And he he tunnels his curveball pretty well off of it too. So that's kind of where more success comes from him. So I do think he'll have some success in the major leagues. I just don't think we're looking at a top of the rotation guy, obviously. Well, let's keep going then. We just did nine. Let's go to number 10. Uh, and number 10 is an interesting one. We've got Gunnar Henderson. Big shortstop. He's only 19 years old. Um, 6'3", 195. We're probably not going to see him in the bigs for another you know, four years or so. But he does seem to be the total package. It's a big shortstop with a future 55 bat, above average speed, arm, and fielding. Yet, he's listed below Jordan Westberg in the rankings. Even though Westberg's bat is kind of nowhere near Henderson's potential, does Gunner have enough glove to stick at shortstop? Is that why... Westberg is rated so much higher than Gunner? I think he can stick at shortstop, but I don't think he will. He has the ability to play there, but not what you're really looking for as your future shortstop of the future kind of a deal. Like Westberg has those tools. Obviously, like you said, the hitting is the question there. The fielding is where he makes up for it. So as of now, you look at a guy like Westberg as a potential shortstop of the future for their team, just like I said, due to the defense, and he can still provide some offensive ability um as gunner fills out as well he's like you said he's a six foot three guy he's 195 he's probably going to add some strength some muscle might lose a bit of his speed and he's already just a 50 fielder so he's probably not going to see much past that 50 he's got a strong arm it's possible we see him at third base it's possible we see him move to the outfield he's got good athleticism so i could see him move out to the outfield there's going to be pretty crowded obviously like we mentioned before there's a ton of prospects out there but as we also mentioned, they haven't done a ton uh, developing them, so maybe there does open up a spot out there for him. But, yeah, I mean, the bat, I do think, is better than Westbrook. It's it's more consistent. I think he can grow into some power. I don't think it's going to be league average or anything, but a 45 is pretty fair. But if he can do that, he has a chance to be a decent third baseman, like I said. Um, but then you think about it, a third baseman with less than league average power is not what you're looking for. So Seriously. That's where it kind of comes in with this guy's kind of gets graded a little lower than Westberg, just kind of the question marks there. Um, he's a little younger too. Westberg, we've seen a little bit of college, obviously. We've seen some production against some good competition. We've seen what he can do. Obviously, he had some uh, strikeout, uh, sorry, he had some strikeout concerns and some hitability concerns at um, at Arizona, but he's shown enough that he has some some tools to work with if they can kind of tap into those raw tools. He shows some ability there. So I like their Westbrook over Gunnar Henderson. I wouldn't be shocked to see Henderson make that jump next year because he is young and there is some unknown with him still. But I'm good with the ranking there. So, Jake, then, uh, you mentioned it, a 45 power 
just isn't really going to cut it at third. That below average power, or, or I guess spot on league average power, is not really going to cut it. If he fills out that frame, 6'3", you know, 215 or something, you know, put another 20 pounds on there, and then builds that muscle up, um, is a 55 hit 50 power, is that good enough for third? At what point are we saying, okay, that bat is a third baseman? At any point, you can technically be a third baseman, but like we said, you want... As a prospect, you're looking at, okay, this guy can hit for power. At least he can hit us 25 homers in a year. Like You want your power guys at obviously first, third, right field, and left field, or you're going to have a defender out there. But you sometimes most teams just kind of stick a big power bat out there and get more power on the field, likely a first baseman. You want that third baseman to have power. It's kind of – you can go a little team-specific. If you have a lot of power on your team, you can kind of sacrifice a little bit there. If you have someone – per se, maybe like a second baseman that gets some power. You can kind of sacrifice a little bit of third base um, power for some defense there. But again, you're not going to get, you're not going to get plus defense from Gunner as well at third base. You're going to get probably the same as you see at third base, probably about a 50 at best. You might be able to see him move up to a 55, but I don't think you're going to see that jump quite honestly. I think he's going to stick as a 50 fielder and the profile overall is just a little bit light. It's uh, You would like to see, like you said, a little more power. It could just be a launch angle thing. It could be uh, just he needs to get more weight, and we'll see it. But from what I've seen, I don't think he can grow into more power, quite honestly. But mm-hmm. we'll see. It's, it's, it's a long time to kind of give up on the guy for sure. Yeah, he, he's a player that, like I said from the from the get-go, I, I look at him and I see kind of the total package because of everything he brings. Hit tool, speed, arm, fielding. But at the same time, because he has that lack of power and the fielding doesn't fit the position, he does become that tweener role that like now you take a step back and you look, you're like, where can we play him? There's this doesn't seem to be a viable option to play him. And if that bat doesn't develop the way we want it to, he won't get played. And that's just simply it. Like he if he relies on the bat and it doesn't develop, goodbye Gunnar Henderson. I think he can find a role as a utility guy if he starts kind of like you said just kind of just being consistent a little bit but yeah i don't think you can kind of slap this guy as a third baseman you can't really slap you can try to slap him as a shortstop right now you have enough shortstop i think in the system to think okay we probably aren't gonna need this guy as shortstop but i mean as of now quite honestly it's the best fit for him i just don't think it's gonna be the fit long term okay well, well let, let's keep going down. I got another guy, the very next one, that's another one of these where is he going to play in the infield look. We're looking at Ryland Bannon, second base, third baseman, already 24 years old, tiny little guy, five foot seven, 180. Sorry, that's not tiny. That's an average size for a human, but <laughs> tiny for a baseball player. Um, but he's a 45 future value. Uh, I, I kind of see because of the height, you know, a little Altuve written on him. He's got the plus hit, the ability to hit some dingers. Obviously, Altuve offers a lot more in the field and the speed and, and all that. But are we going to see shades of him in the bat near or above, you know, 300 with 20 home run potential? I personally don't see it. I'm I'm probably the low guy on Bannon, quite honestly. I know Drake's going to give you different opinions, so this will be nice. But, um, yeah, I'm just – I have a problem seeing him just kind of tapping into that power long term. It doesn't really have anything to really – I mean – Obviously, it has some to do with the 5-7 build. But just a swing overall, like he does generate power. I don't think he's going to generate power against professional pitching night in, night out. I think he'll have some doubles power. I'm okay with the 55 hit tool. I think he can show that at times. It's probably going to more settle into more of a 50. I 
Defensively, I mean, it's kind of just a second base rule, quite honestly. You can't stick this guy at shortstop. He tries to play there a little bit. I don't think he has the arm. He doesn't have the quickness to kind of have the range out there that you would like left to right. Second base is better for him, quite honestly, just overall. I mean, you just look at a guy 5'7", and you think second base in right away. But just overall, the game from what you see is if it's second base. Um, I don't think, quite honestly, this guy is a starter there. But he's he's consistent enough where he's going to get a shot to play. It's just going to come down to if this guy can actually hit the ball in the major leagues. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. Drake, I think, believes he can, but again, yeah. there's, there's some there's some more to work through. There's some stuff to work through. He was another piece of that trade for Machado. Um, I guess you could say the third piece now. And then just again, another just light piece that you're just kind of wondering where does this guy fit in with the team? Did we really get enough for Machado? And are any of these guys actually going to be starters for us in the future kind of a thing? Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of Bannon. I saw him at Fall League live, and he took an inside pitch, and he hit it pretty much left field and off the wall, and uh, it, he absolutely like hit the crap out of the ball. But whenever I see Bannon uh, play, he has a big leg kick, uh, which could really mess with his timing. Uh, but I do see a lot of Justin Turner in him. I know that's like, I might be a little out there, but I just see a lot of Justin Turner in the swing. Uh, as Jake did touch on, he does have a tendency to overswing, which makes his mechanics really just go haywire. But I do also do like his versatility. He does play the outfield, le- uh, left, right, and uh, second and third. So I do think Bannon is going to play uh, a lot better, especially in Camden. The Camden factor again, but uh, I think Bannon can be a really solid player for the Orioles. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, Jake, you keep hearkening back to the Manny Machado trade and talking about how they didn't get anything for him. They didn't get anything for him. At the time of the trade, if I recall, no one was saying it was a huge prospect return. What they were saying was, okay, the Orioles filled out their farm system with this trade. They got three, four guys in this farm system now that they didn't have before, and now it's a slightly better farm. I'm, I'm not saying anyone did. I'm just saying when you trade a guy like Machado, you kind of don't want this. Are you saying this is a good trade? The timing of the trade, the Orioles kind of screwed up. That's on If them. they would have done it, uh, yeah. But I'm saying you can't look back on it and say, well, this trade's just blown up because this and this and this. Because, like, yeah, we did get good pieces. The Orioles got fine pieces in the farm system, and it might not be a perfect value for value. But if they didn't think they were going to re-sign Machado, then get something for nothing. No, I, I, I haven't said that. They had to get something for something, but I don't think you take the first deal and just say, screw it, let's take that. It's the first deal. And, like, they, the Dodgers had more than enough prospects to – pick from and say you're not getting Machado unless you give us this guy if I remember they wanted Dustin May or Gavin Lux and obviously the Dodgers weren't giving either one of those up yeah and they're asking for the top of the tier and that was also two years ago so their pedigree wasn't as high as we're thinking now but still um, they were asking for the top of the barrel guys they got mid-level guys at best kind of bottom of the barrel guys like I'm saying they could have got one guy where it's like okay at least we got like a I don't even know off the top of my head, like a Kiba Ruiz or something like they didn't have Alvin at the time. They got like a Kiba Ruiz or something like that, or just someone with like pedigree. It's like, okay, like Yelzniel kind of had it, but he was starting to have those like question marks. It's like, does he even fit with the Dodgers? Is he going to be a consistent starter? And then they just traded him. It's like the Dodgers, I mean, 
look at every trade the Dodgers have made in the last five years. Name one guy that they have traded away prospect-wise that has actually burned them and turned into a consistent player for another team. So I that was know. my – if you guys remember uh, – the listeners remember the Red Sox podcast that just came out a couple days ago. The Jeter Downs topic was kind of where I was going with that. It was like the Dodgers traded Downs to get bets, and I think in the back of their head they were like, we're pulling a fast one on the Red Sox. We know something that Downs might not succeed because they kind of did the same thing with Diaz. It's a similar situation for sure. I I think when it comes down to Jeter and the trade for Mookie, I think it just came down to the Dodgers knew they needed Mookie. They needed to make this trade to get over the hump. Maybe Jeter's that guy. I personally don't think he is, but you got to have that question in your mind. That's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, we have spent hours now <laughs> on Ryland Bannon. Let's move on to the last guy on your prospect list in your top 20. Uh, number 17 on the list was Hunter Harvey. It's a guy, again, every Oriole knows, every Oriole fan knows. He's been with the team for the better half of the decade. Uh, when it comes to Harvey, the talent is clear. He's a 70-grade fastball, a 60-grade curveball, and just the ability to make batters look silly. The injuries are what the problem is. 2014 was his first full season in affiliated ball, and he pitched 87 innings. The next four years were inning totals of 0, 12, 18, and 32. You know, he bounced back last year with 75 innings pitch, but then just last month, he gets shut down with elbow soreness. The, the if is huge here, but if he can manage a healthy few consecutive years, what can we reasonably expect out of Harvey? Reasonably, I think you can expect a late inning roll out of the bullpen. If you want to get fancy, I think you're looking at the future closer of the Orioles. I definitely need to see more of him, but every time he pitches, I mean... He's he shows the talent. It's just like you said, he's hurt a lot. So it's kind of just like, man, get out there and do something in a way. But mm-hmm. um, he's kind of like this last pitcher of the last um, the last regime to kind of see if they can work in a way that last like high talented guy. It just hasn't panned out. And now, you're, like I said, you're looking at a bullpen role, which I think there's potential here. That fastball curveball is very good. The fastball's gonna get swing and misses, as is the curveball. It's just a lot to like on him, honestly. If he can just harness, just honestly, just health and consistency is just the real thing. Like, he has good control of his pitches. He doesn't have poor walk rates or anything. It's more just location where he's missing. He's missing in the zone pretty badly. Like, he's just leaving balls over the middle. He's trying to throw the ball inside. He's hitting the outside corner. I'll probably get scolded for saying that, but you're probably, you have potentially be looking at one of the better relievers in baseball if he can get his command right. What, what I like about uh, Harvey is he does have a little bit of deception in his delivery. And like you were saying, if he could just, like, get that command going and stay healthy, that's the big part. Because, like, the Orioles had – it was, like, a similar situation with, like, Dylan Bundy, kind of, and Hunter Harvey. They were both deemed as, like, the can't-miss pitching prospect. If he can just – like Jake was saying, if he can get his uh, command down and actually stay healthy – they could have a solid upside reliever. That that is it for the top twenty. Um, let me, if you would, just be with, bear with me for a second. I want to go through the rest of the top twenty that we didn't touch on. Um, at number six was former Orioles minor league player of the year, like I said, and current center fielder Austin Hayes. Uh, at eight, ten, and thirteen are three of the most recent draftees. We got Jordan Westberg, Kobe Mayo, and Hudson Haskin. 
uh, from 14 to 20, skipping Harvey at 17, of course. We have uh, pitcher Zach Lowther, outfielder Ryan McKenna, and four more on the mound. Michael Bauman, Keegan Aiken, Alex Wells, and Zach Pop. Uh, but Drake, like we did before, I want to challenge you to go further down the list. Um, outside of the top 20, give me some guys who either just missed the list or someone who can make an appearance soon after some of these guys graduate. I uh, really like uh, Caden Gray. Uh, how do you say it? Grenier. Grenier. I say Grenier. Grenier? I honestly think that Grenier could be uh, that second base shortstop that they've actually been looking at, something that Ryland Bannon can't be. Yeah, I know it's hyping up Bannon a lot, but Grenier just has that a simple swing, that good uh, contact tool, and I think that he could play very well for the. No, I, I agree. I, I've always been a fan of Caden Grenier. The defense was what brought him to the bigs, and then the bat has just slowly been developing. I don't know if the bat can develop enough, but from what we've seen, the bat's decent enough. If the defense can really stick like he's been doing. The bat can be decent enough, and, and he can play short. Uh, Jake, do you have anyone outside the top 20? Yeah, I have a few names. Um, just a popular name in the Orioles kind of prospect world is Kyle Stowers. We don't have him ranked in our top 20. Just kind of inconsistencies. I, I think I talked to my um, writer about it, and he just had some questions on this like inconsistencies and just he has the high talent. It's just he hasn't kind of seen it more often. I would probably have him just at the end of my top 20 list if I were to do the rankings personally, but... He saw some things differently and just decided to not have him uh, have him ranked. But like I said, I would probably have him just at the end. Um, a few guys just to get familiar with from this draft: um, Anthony Servideo and Carter Baumler, who were drafted in the fourth and fifth round or third and fifth round picks. I think they both honestly deserve to be ranked on this list. Just I think Baumler is going to be a nice pitcher. He's one of the more polished. Um, pitchers out of the class of the prep class quite honestly he went in the fifth round pick but he should have went a lot earlier i think they spent a majority of their uh money i think it was like a 1.5 million signing bonus in the fifth round so they think highly of mm-hmm. him uh again sir video is one of the more exciting players in college baseball last year he's going to come into top of the lineup material leadoff hitter kind of a spark plug just excitement kind of he's not like that javier javier Baez type of player but he brings that same type of excitement and fire to the team that you kind of want those guys I definitely think we'll see next year in the ranks. Sure. And I, and I know I don't usually do this, uh, but I do want to offer one more guy because I just know the system so well. Um, Blaine Knight, pitcher out of Arkansas. He's been in the in the minors for two years now, and he's just grown a lot. I know his stats don't show it. His stats, he had a 6 ERA last year, um, but he's got a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, high spin rate slider, uh, he's 6'3", 165, so that Y reframe is going to develop. Yeah, well, I guess you hope it'll be developing. He's already 24, so you can't add that much. But if he does add some stuff to it, I do see this repeatable delivery can be a rotation, you know, a rotation guy, a mid-to-back rotation, sure. But this is a guy that is not getting much credence in the top 20s, top 30s list, and I see a, a, a true winner out of him. I mean, shoot, 14-0 at Arkansas, his final year there. I know wins don't mean anything. Please don't come after me on Twitter with that. Wins don't mean a damn thing as a pitcher. But he had them, and and he does well. He does well with his stuff. So I do want to look at one last little thing. Are there any guys kind of overrated or underrated in the system? Maybe some guys in the top 20 that you feel maybe don't deserve to be there, or maybe some guys – you know, that you just want to kind of give some recognition to after the fact at the very end of the pod. 
I do like to see Alex Wells because, like, fall league, he had a really nice fall league with, like, a 0.88 ERA. Really, in a time where velocity is such a big thing, it's really nice to see a guy that tops out at, like, 89 miles an hour, but he creates so much deception and his high spin make it really hard to to barrel up his fastball and, and all of his pitches for that matter. Nice. Uh, Jake, do you have anyone else that you want to touch on before we close off the pod? Fair one, uh, one quick second. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he had a 0.57 ERA, and he struck out 15 batters and 15.2 innings pitch. Oh, that is, <laughs> can't complain about that. And he had three wins. Yeah. <laughs> we can't we can't become a win podcast. We can't start talking about people's wins. I know I just did, but God, <laughs> wins are the worst. <laughs> they really are. I just uh, Jake. <laughs> Jake, do you have anyone before we close off the pod? I mean, just the guys I mentioned earlier, I'd probably have most of them in my top twenty. Just the guys mm-hmm. I might take out if I had to move these guys in. I would just take off Zach Pop. He's just a reliever, strictly reliever. So his his limited upside is just kind of is what it is at that point. I would probably just have to knock him off. I do like Wells. I'm just kind of at a point where it's like, when if I can kind of see it with him? He's been around for so long. I know he got signed when he was young and stuff, but I feel like we should kind of see. I don't know. He just doesn't pop out to me. Like he does. He has good stats. It's just nothing exactly stands out to me consistently. Where it's like, dang, this guy's gonna be a good major league pitcher. Like I could very well be wrong. I think it's it's more just like that pitchability. Nothing like flashy to you. Like I've mentioned before, but that's just there's success there. There's possible success there. I would possibly look to maybe drop him off, but he's just one of those tweener guys. But other than that, I mean. There's just a lot of just interesting guys towards the end. There's a lot of guys that are just on that last kind of grasp of air of prospect status. They're just like, okay, we're 23, 24 right now. I need to have a big year or I might kind of be getting forgotten about just especially with this COVID year and all that. They're going to have kind of two drafts by the time you get out there and kind of prove yourself and they're going to be able to kind of replace you. So these players that are in those roles really need to kind of start showing something. Sure. I think it kind of just kind of goes to show the Orioles – farm has grown so much where you've got you know maybe 10 guys that are firmly in the top 10 and then like 30 guys that can be pretty much interchangeable from 11 to 40 obviously some guys are higher on that you know on that echelon than others but if you look at lists across the across the internet and even lists uh, here like the the list that uh nick wrote versus jake what you believe there's so much contradiction in itself. It it does make me feel like there's a lot of players that have potential and some ifs. And that is kind of a good thing because if you can iron out those ifs, you have a lot of potential in that farm and the Orioles could be set for the future. But, but guys, I want to close it off right now. That is going to be it for the Orioles today. Drake, I do, you know, I like it was with the Padres. I love having you on, man. Thank you for coming. I, I do appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. It was a good time. Yeah. Well, as we sign off, uh, can you tell the world where they can find you? And do you have anything you need to plug? Uh, you'll find me on Twitter, at DrakeMan4. And I have the D-backs top 20 list coming up. And then I also have the Twins top 20 and the Braves top 20 that I'm going to be working on here soon as well. It sounds like what you're telling me is I have more podcasts to record soon. Yes, pretty much. (laughs) Tell me how long this backlog is later. I don't want to think about it right now. But again, Jake, where can people find you? And what do you have to plug? 
course, always, you can find me on Twitter, JakeTillinghast27, at J-T-I-L-L-I-N-G-H-A-S-T-27. Follow Prospects Worldwide on Twitter, ProspectsWorldW. Go to our website, check out all our ranks, all of our articles. You can actually, we have an article up uh, written by Nick covering, we touched on it, I don't know, probably 50 times throughout the podcast, but he actually wrote an article strictly covering the Manny Machado trade and all the prospects and giving them grades and all analysis on how they were at the time of the trade, how they currently are, and what the presently or future thinks of them, each prospect. So it's a cool little article. It's fun. So Orioles fans will kind of get a kick, a kick out of it. But a lot of articles up there, another Hunt, uh, Hunter Harvey article, and just a lot of draft prospects or draft profiles and all that. So you'll get a lot of prospect uh, news on the Orioles and all and a bunch of other teams. So if you're interested in just loving prospects or dynasty leagues or whatever you've got going on, we have the information for you so come check it out subscribe to us on youtube as well um just prospects worldwide prospect videos mlb draft guys that are going to be drafted this year next year 21 22 23 up there we got a ton of stuff waiting to get up there we just got so much stuff going on but we got probably 400 videos to get up there in the next few months so check out that subscribe and get those alerts yeah absolutely the 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 youtube videos i I do appreciate those because they're usually short and sweet you know, 13, 14 seconds of just a lights out pitch or, you know, a couple a couple really good at-bats. And it does give you a nice all-encompassing view on, on what, how to start forming your opinion on these players. So I, I do appreciate those. But guys, as always, I'm John Giles. You can follow me at Puma Revive. That's P-U-M-A-R-E-V-I-V-E-D. And please continue listening to our pod. We'll have a ton more of these episodes coming out over the season, as you can tell by all these lists that are getting made. Remember to give us a good review, and you can find this article for everyone we mentioned today on prospectsworldwide.com. Click around over there like Jake wanted you to do. Find our first impressions of all these pitchers making their major league debuts. Uh, We got team draft recaps and, of course, all of these top 20s. Please, if anyone has any questions about a team list that we haven't done, or or if you just have something that you want us to banner about, send us a line to at prospectsworldw on Twitter. I look forward to reading those questions, and I'll be happy to ask them next time. Thanks for listening today. I'm John Giles, and this is Prospects Worldwide.